Mammy, where'd Mammy go? She basically just gave you a preview of uh, week two, next week. <laughs> she preached about half that message uh, right there. That was just a great word. How many would agree that the Word of God has everything that you need? It speaks to every situation at every moment and every season and every time. Uh, the Word of God uh, is your source. And we're going to uh, we're going to lay out kind of the framework, the groundwork um, this, this week, and we're going to start to discuss our source of hope. And then next weekend, we're going to dive right into a lot of that, uh, what she started to share there, the need and the importance for the Word and the presence of God in our lives. You know, God created us, and how many would agree he created us with a plan and with a purpose? Come on, God has a destiny over every single one of your lives. There's a reason that you're alive. There's a reason that you're here. Every single person who's ever born, there is a reason for their existence. I don't believe that any human life is unimportant or doesn't matter, uh, no matter where on the earth they are, no matter where uh, they're born, whether they're born into riches, whether they're born into poverty, every single person is important. And every single person is important in the eyes of God. So you might think, oh, well, who cares if we're important to you? Okay, forget about me. You're important to him. You're important to God. He created you. He made you. He's got a plan and a destiny for your life. Sadly, we look around, you know, our world. You can look abroad or you can look even right in your own circle of friends or family, and there's too much brokenness. There's too much pain. There's too many just sad, heartbreaking stories all the time. You know, one of the things that I... I, I see over the years where we have become much more digitally connected worldwide is, I don't know that the world has changed a whole lot, but you and I are much more aware of what's going on in places that previously we, we didn't know anything about. Uh, that's one of, the, one of the advantages and disadvantages of being so connected and so, uh, you know, the world becoming so small digitally. You know, a few years ago, we had the opportunity, we took a team to um, Los Angeles to volunteer at the Dream Center uh, for a week, their homeless uh, outreach ministry there, just, I mean, doing an amazing job. If you get a chance, and we're going to try to plan another trip with some young people. Uh, we've been t- discussing this uh, with our youth leaders. We'd like to get back to the Dream Center, and they're right there in the hardest neighborhoods in L.A. I mean, serving, they're helping drug addicts rehab and gang leaders rehab. They took us into some of the famed L.A. neighborhoods, you know, down in uh, south-central L.A. and Watts and these sorts of spots where normally guys like me are not allowed to go or would never come out alive. But we're with this organization that serves and loves and blesses the community so much that they're welcomed in. In fact, we're there serving, uh, uh, giving away groceries out of the backs of trucks. We load up all these trucks with food and then pull up to the side of the road, and you should see the lineup for blocks. People come with all their bags, and the, the, the team told us who organizes this, they said this is their only grocery pickup of the week. Like, this is it right here. They don't have any other means or any other way to get food. It's what we bring them. And that's why you see the lineup. They're already there an hour before we come, blocks, uh, blocks down the street. They said that they've been told by some of the real hard-nosed gang leaders in Watts or in South L.A. that they're watching over and protecting them in their trucks when they show up. They're, they're, we got your back. Don't you worry. While you're here in the middle of our, if anybody shows up, tries to mess with you or steal your stuff, we, we, we got your back. And they're, they're in there serving and blessing and loving on these communities. They took us for one afternoon. One day we went and did some uh, street ministry in Skid Row in L.A. Have any, anybody ever been to Skid Row right in downtown Los Angeles? Yeah, well, you were there. 
I mean, it's, I, I've been to places in the Dominican Republic and townships in Africa, uh, in different regions of the world, and I'm not sure I've ever quite seen something quite as broken and heartbreaking as right there in L.A. In the midst of all the glitzy skyscrapers and all the money of Hollywood, there's so much brokenness. I did some reading recently to see what's happening. It was a few years ago we went there, and sadly the homeless and the uh, uh, drug stats in Los Angeles just continue to skyrocket. There's 60,000 homeless people now in Los Angeles, most of whom are homeless homeless, not you know people choosing to live on the streets and, and ducking into shelters at night, like no shelter, no nothing. They're out on the street 24-7 uh, all the time. We look at issues that are just, you see, you see a human life that has so much destiny and purpose being broken and ravaged by pain and by addiction. You see international news stories that break your heart. Many of you are familiar with the Boko Haram over in Nigeria and all the trouble and all the issues they've caused there, all the girls that were kidnapped last year that are still missing, all the millions of people that have been killed in their, their wars. I just read this week that there's 5 million people now starving to death in Nigeria because all the farmland has been destroyed by all the wars and all the, all the artillery and all the, all the fighting. They can't grow food. The land has literally been ruined and can't grow food, and there's 5 million people that they estimate are on their way to dying if somebody doesn't get some food over to them. And you look at innocent children born into that, and you think, this isn't fair. How does this happen? How did I get chose to be born here, and that kid got chose to be born there? Something just it, it tugs at your heart. In Canada here, 40% of marriages end in divorce. 40%. And we wonder why young people these days aren't too anxious to move out of their parents' house and go on and get married. Don't criticize the young people for having second thoughts about this. Think about what they've been raised in in many cases, what the experience has been. I wouldn't be too anxious to dive out and try it myself either uh, had I been raised in a difficult situation. 47,000 Canadians die every year from drug abuse. 47,000 lives gone by abusing drugs. 50% of Ontario's grade 12 students admit to regularly binge drinking. Not just drinking, but just binge drinking over the top. You're familiar, of course, these days, and young people, you're going to have to navigate things uh, perhaps a a little bit differently than prior generations, but some of the new laws coming into effect in in Canada soon. Uh, The marijuana legislation that's going to change. There's a couple states that are a bit ahead of us and have already done this. And five years ago, they, they made the same changes in Colorado, and they've been tracking all the stats very carefully as kind of a test pilot project. Colorado is everybody's guinea pig, I guess, uh, on this one. Uh, And they've got some interesting numbers that they've now uncovered after five years of legal uh, marijuana in Colorado. The number of drivers involved in fatal crashes testing with marijuana has doubled in the last five years in Colorado. Drug violations in their K-12 schools have gone up 50% in the last five years. Drug violations by high school students has increased 71% in five years. And, of course, it ranks number one in the country, in the United States, for marijuana use among teens. Without diving into that whole topic, I'd encourage you, if you're interested in hearing some alternate sides to the story that you won't catch in the media, look up, go online and Google the Canadian police chief's response to the government on that proposed legislation. And have a read at what the police chiefs are concerned about and where they see uh, this headed uh, from what they get to see firsthand on the streets all the time. You know, we've got to understand that there's brokenness. Nobody grows up as a little kid and says, I want to become a drug addict someday. I want to ravage my mind and wreck my life and kill myself and, and just like destroy my hope and my future. Nobody grows up. Young people grow up with dreams. 
I love talking and hearing young people talk because their dreams are huge and grandiose and big. If you're someone here and you're past your childhood or your youth and you've gotten settled into your normal life, do me a favor. Don't ever dump on the dreams of young people. Don't ever tell them, come on, just get realistic. You know, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. Don't tell them to get realistic. Encourage them to shoot for the moon. Encourage them to have big dreams in their hearts. Encourage young people to believe that they can make a difference. They can make a difference where they are today. They can make a difference around the world because God has called every single person to have a plan and a purpose. And yeah, we got to navigate some things. Just because the government changes laws doesn't make it right or healthy or good. We got to decide what we're living for. You know, if you're in here and you're a young person, I want to give you a super, 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 super vital piece of life uh, advice. How many here would call yourself young? Let's see a show of hands because I know some of you, like exactly, are going to put your hands up who aren't. I appreciate your enthusiasm. (laughs) Young at heart. Come on, nothing wrong with that. Let's give a hand for the young at heart in the back corner over here. Beautiful. When you're in your youth, and you, you know, in your, young, in your young ages, you are formulating your life habits. You don't realize it, but you are. You're formulating habits that will carry you for the rest of your life, or perhaps become your downfall for the rest of your life. One thing I've observed as someone who's grown up in church, if you're going to do anything, get yourself busy in the kingdom and the house of God. If you're going to walk up, occupy your time with anything, occupy it getting busy in the mission of God. I love to see kids in our church, you know, as they get older and then they graduate out of the different kids' rooms and kids' classes and they join Elevate and so on and so forth. I love to see them then turning around and volunteering in some of those, uh, you know, young kids' rooms and uh, volunteering uh, in different ministries in the church and working in the cafe. Get yourself busy with where God is at. Something's going to occupy your time. Something's going to, you're not just going to sit at home and just stare at the wall every day. Something will occupy your time. Where you spend your time is where your passion starts to go. Where you invest your time is where your passion starts to go. I see now there are some amazing families in our church uh, who grew up in this church, and it's just been phenomenal to me to watch the numbers of them who as teenagers and young people got busy in the house of God, got busy in the kingdom of God, and now decades later, they are still busy in the house and kingdom of God. They established that habit and are now raising families, uh, being committed and being sold out to the plans and the purposes of God. Get yourself busy with the things of God and he will protect you. Get yourself busy with the things of God and he will watch over you as you journey through those interesting years and there's lots of temptation and lots of things to navigate. Don't give the enemy any opportunity to get in there and say, why don't you try a little bit of this? Oh, this is harmless. Isn't it funny how all these things that kill people every year, all these things that ruin lives every year, when you're young, the enemy presents it to you as if it's a fun, cool thing to try out. The enemy knows these stats, and he wants you to be one of them. He knows these stats. He knows exactly where those fun, cool, innocent things lead. They lead to destruction. They lead to uh, people's lives being ravaged. There are, there's just so much pain and so much hurt uh, in, our, uh, in our society. I mentioned this to you last week. I gave you a little sneak preview on something that I, some stats that I uncovered recently that I, they blew my mind and I presume they will blow yours uh, as well as it relates to gun murders and things of that nature in the United States. We hear a lot about the gun issue, right, in the U.S., uh, and, uh, I mean, I've only ever seen once or twice in my life people in grocery stores with guns, and it was always in the U.S. Thankfully, I've not encountered that here yet uh, in Canada. In 2014, they had 8,000 people were murdered 
with guns in the United States. 16,000 people in total were murdered that year. Okay, so 50% of the murders were uh, with guns and then the other half with various other means. Okay, this is the part that will blow your mind. Okay, 8,000 people murdered with guns, and we hear a lot about guns. 41,000 people in 2014 killed themselves in the United States. Five times, five times as many people as were murdered with a gun took their own life. Which tells me something. The issue isn't so much a weapon issue. It's certainly not a side-of-the-tracks issue because their suicide and, and their crime rates are ridiculously high in wealthy spots like Hollywood, and they're ridiculously high in places like Detroit and Chicago. The issue is a human, broken life, broken heart condition. This is the issue. In here, there's something missing. If it was all pleasure and wealth and an easy life caused you to never go down these roads, then you would see no murders and no suicides and no drug abuse problems in wealthy uh, regions uh, like the United States and Canada. But we still see these things because there's a hole in our hearts. There's something we're missing Many of you came to know Jesus, and you've shared your stories uh, with us over the years, and that phrase is used all the time. People say there was something missing in here. I don't know what it was, but something was missing. I wasn't happy. There was a hole. There was a void. And I tried all this other stuff to try to fill it, and it just didn't fill it. It just got me high. It just got me hung over. It got me into trouble, and the hole was still there. There's a Jesus-sized hole in every single human being. Let me say that again. There's a Jesus-sized hole in every single person who doesn't know him because he is who we were created to have a relationship with. Like I said last week, this isn't an issue of going and finding Jesus. This is going back into a relationship with Jesus. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden, we were created to have an open relationship with the Lord, and then it got taken away and it got severed by sin. Returning to a relationship with the Lord is what we're doing. There's way too, many, uh, too much brokenness. There's way too much human uh, brokenness, too many lives that are, uh, that are just hurting. I know this isn't the most encouraging way to start, but I think we have to lay out some of the... We all know there's all this brokenness around us, but sometimes it's good to put some numbers on it. Remember, every single number I'm reading, it's another life. Another person that God has a destiny for, that God has a plan for, a life that matters, a life of purpose. Every single person matters. I believe one of the biggest strategies of the enemy, and I, you know, I hate to say this, I guess, but in some ways it seems he's winning right now. One of the biggest strategies of the enemy is to snuff out a life before it even gets started. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take you down however he can. If he can get you addicted to that thing, if he can get you with the wrong crowd, if he can get you depressed and on all sorts of meds that cause you to not function, like he'll do whatever he has to do. Since 1973, when the United States passed Roe versus Wade and legalized abortion, 60 million babies have been aborted since 1973. 60 million lives that I believe had destiny and had purpose. 60 million people that were created in the image of God. And the enemy has figured out a way to snuff out lives literally before they even get going, before they even come out of the womb and get functioning. Now, a little tidbit of good news to throw in here. Today, the millennial generation, so that's everybody born after, what, 1983 or something like that? I'm not millennial, sadly. I was in the good old 1970s. Yeah, that's right, way back in the 1970s, you young people. 
The millennial generation is the most pro-life generation that has existed in many generations. Statistically, there's been jumps of 10 to 15% of them switching over to pro-life views in the last decade. And most researchers uh, are pinning it on one main thing. There's probably many things at work, I, I would imagine. I believe that if the church does its job, you'll start to see stats like that change because more lives will be transformed and people will come to know Jesus and recognize the value of every human life, whether it's still inside a belly, a belly or out here where you can see it. But technology is being hailed as one of the reasons for the shift. Back when Mary and I were having kids, we would go have those, you know, you get an ultrasound done, right, to see the baby in there. And I mean, I remember her and the, the doctor trying to point out like an arm and a hand, and I'd be like, this looks like a big blob of blurry grayness. I don't see anything here. Like, what am I looking at? Think, you know, moving around, and they're all excited. Oh, I think that's a foot, you know. I'm like, a foot? Just let me see some semblance of a human form in there. Well, these days... It is so razor sharp, so crystal clear. You can see fingers, toes, hands. They say this is one of the reasons millennials are rapidly starting to change their tune on abortion because they actually physically, visibly see the baby. Technology working in your favor. God wants to have us realize that every single life has destiny and purpose. Every single person is created in the image of God. I believe that we need to understand that there's brokenness all around us. God sees it. It pains him. It's not, you know, people say, how can God let all this happen? God gave us a free will, and sadly, with the free will comes the opportunity for you and I to choose some not too good things, some some awful things. But we also have a free will to surrender ourselves to him and be transformed. And I want to show you a little bit here this next couple weeks as to where true hope is found. I want you to take a look at this video before I move into the next part of this message and I'll not be as depressing in section two here. Go ahead and roll this video. When I was seven, my father passed away. And uh, at the time, my mom was not employed. So she made the hard decision to uh, sell everything that we had uh, so that she could come overseas. Six years after, uh, my brother and I came to Canada. And that has been the biggest highlight of our lives. And we enjoy living in Canada. Uh, when I was 14, uh, just like most girls, I started to become insecure about myself. Uh, just coming to a new country and living with people who look totally different, I started to believe lives about myself. Uh, being a fourth generation Christian, I cannot really pinpoint a point where I said to myself I was going to start following Christ Uh, but I remember one time uh, one lady in the church was talking to me and in passing she said you need to be real with with Jesus and uh, I realized that I knew how to uh, worship I knew how to um, read the Bible on a regular basis but I just I didn't have the relationship with with Christ so I started to pursue that and um Ever since that, I have had so many victories in my life, even though I have uh, some barriers to be won. I love the way I look, and um, I have a stronger foundation in Christ. If you came to me to, like, 
the moment when, when my father passed away and came and told me that one day I'll be telling people about Jesus and um, that I'll be living with great people and getting a great education, I would probably tell you that that, that is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. A great verse that I love is uh, Psalms 139 verse 16 says, Before a day of my life had passed, it was already recorded. And that gives me so much hope in my life. I know that going through any situation, any uh, trial, I know that um, Jesus has my back. Come on, Jesus changes our lives. I wonder if, if we're going to have a discussion on hope and on the need for us to find hope and to have hope. I think we need to maybe look at the source of hope. Maybe the issue isn't that us humans aren't able to hope. Maybe it's the sources of hope. Maybe it's where we're trying to place our hope that needs to be looked at. How many have ever been bungee jumping or would like to go bungee jumping? Anybody here would like to go bungee jumping? Okay, so you with your hands up, you would like, wow, most of you don't want to go bungee jumping, eh? Those of you with your hands up, the issue isn't whether you want to or not. You show up that day, way up high on that bridge or wherever you're doing this, and what's going to be the issue? What are you going to want to have a good look over before you launch off the side of that bridge? You're going to want to look at the bungee. You're going to want to look at the cord. You're going to want to look at what your life is literally being held by. The issue isn't, do I want to do this? The issue is, can I really put my hope in this thing? I remember when Joey was little, and being a little guy, like most little kids have very little, uh, at least in his case, very little sense of danger, and he would want to just launch himself off the top steps, and he just assumed and expected that I was going to catch him, even if I was like nowhere near him. Sometimes I'd have to like run up, so I'm at least four or five steps away. He would have jumped when I was like 10 steps away uh, if he had his way. He had complete assurance that I was going to catch him. I had to make sure I tried to catch him and not get kicked anywhere when he was landing. But he had perfect hope. He had no, no worries whatsoever. It was a trustworthy source. I remember when Mary had cancer, when she went in for her cancer surgery, and when she was pregnant with Francesca, our middle child, and she had an encounter with God before going in and, you know, uh, an experience with God. And she was out on our Pritchard land, our land our church owns for our future campus out on Pritchard on the East Mountain, and found uh, like a thorn thistle, like that would have been kind of like the thorns, a crown of thorns they they put on Jesus, which you don't see a lot around here, at least I don't. And so she picked it up. She's like, hey, I'm going to, like, this represents the blood of Jesus. This represents the cross. This represents uh, Jesus to me. And she brought those, uh, those thorns, and she brought those to the hospital. The day we went to the hospital, and she was having her surgery done. And she mentioned to me later how in the hospital waiting room with other people who were also going in for, for cancer surgery, people had, like, certain stuffed animals with them or a rock, a lucky rock or whatever. And, you know, everybody had their own little thing, their own little object that they were putting their hope in. But one thing that I find interesting, her hope wasn't in the object, it was in what the object represents. Maybe we need more people to hear about Jesus so that they realize they're somewhere trustworthy, they can put their hope. The issue isn't that we don't want to hope or we can't hope, but where? Where do we find our hope? Where can I put my hope? Where can I put my hope as a human that is a legit source of hope? Because many of our relationships, upbringings, families... 
friendships, they've turned out to be false sources of hope. And they've turned out, in fact, in many cases, to be sources of damage and pain in our life. We need to understand that the source of hope is so crucial and so key. Psalm 119, verse 74 says, May all who fear you find me, find in me a cause for joy because I have put my hope in your word. My hope in your word. We'll talk more about this next week, like Mammy uh, already started preaching uh, at offering time there. The Word of God is your source of hope. The Word of God has every answer to every situation you will face in your life. We have to. We have to be in the Word of God. We must. We must be in God's Word. We can't avoid God's Word, leave it all dusty on a shelf, and then complain about the lack of peace or joy or hope or purpose or destiny. It's all found in there, church. How many would agree the Word of God is a a life changer? Word of God is a game changer for you and I. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You may have been burned putting your hope in the love of another human, your hope in the love of a spouse or a parent or a friend, but you know whose love you can always count on? The love of Jesus. The love of God. You can always count on his love. You, the Lord delights in those who put their hope in his love. Who understand his love is so strong and secure, I don't need to look anywhere else. This is why the cross, what we celebrated last weekend, is so vital and so important. Because the cross of Jesus changes everything. It provides love for you and I uh, to be able to put our hope in. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, Let all that I am wait quietly before God. For my hope is in him. How many here tonight would say, my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in Jesus. Come on, you know him. You've experienced this already. This is why we're here. If there was no hope to be found in Jesus, this place would be empty and we'd all be still looking. We'd all be somewhere else looking to try to find a legit source of hope. The word hope in that verse there is the Hebrew word tikva. Say tikva. Tikva, remember that. What it literally means is a cord or an expectation. The hope we have in God is a cord, a cord, a strand, a rope. Okay, that's literally the definition of tikva. A cord or an expectation. Jeremiah 29, 11 gives us a bit more of a glimpse into this. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. There's an expectation about the plans that God has for your life when your hope is found in him. When your hope is not found in him, your expectation for your life basically looks according to what your eyes are seeing. And if things are going great, then you're pretty hopeful. If things are going awful, you're depressed and you have no hope. But when your hope is in Jesus, you have an expectation that this verse is true. His plans for you are for a hope and a future. His plans are good. His plans are to further you. His plans are to not destroy you. His plans are to look over you and watch over you. Come on, you're you're God. If you know Jesus, you know the Lord here tonight, you can put your hope and your trust in him. Even when you're walking through the most difficult battle and difficult season, your hope and your trust comes from him, not from circumstances. The verse hope here means an expected end. It's expected. It's not maybe it'll go well. No, no, no. I know it's going to go well because God is in control. Just like I shared last weekend, and you can listen online if you weren't here. We're called to pick up our cross and follow behind Jesus. Follow behind him, and you know it's going to end well. You know where he's leading you. He's walking into victory. He's walking into his eternal kingdom. Remember Back to the Future, way back in the 1980s? 
back when things were kind of cool. <laughs> Music was cool. Movies were cool. I'm amazed at how when you grow up, like I just turned 40 and I already sound like an old man. Like when I was... When I was a teenager, I used to think my parents, I'm like, your music stinks. And they would always complain about mine, right? How awful mine was. And now I do the same thing with my kids. Like, what are we listening to? This is horrible. You should have heard how cool things were back in the 80s, you know? And then if they ever catch an 80s song somewhere and I'm like, oh, this is great. They listen for a minute and they're like, this is horrible. This person can't sing. The music stinks. This was, this was lousy. Remember Back to the Future when they did all their back and forth stuff and the one guy had a, what I thought was a genius idea to pick up the sports almanac because now you're going back to the future and you can just make millions betting on all the events. There was an expected end. He knew every single score of every game because he had the book. When you know Jesus and when you're following Jesus, there is an expected end in your life. You don't have to have any doubt at all. It's just as solid as it is of of being able to go back in time or being able to go into the future and say, I know who's going to win these championships. You know God is going to win the championship over your life. You know he's going to lead you to a good end. So stop believing the lie of the enemy that starts to get you to question that because right now you are getting destroyed. Right now you're getting slaughtered. Your team's getting pounded. Don't worry about it. You're going to win. You're going to win. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are going to win. Come on, some of you need to believe that tonight. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win in life. God is leading you into victory. He's leading you into a, a, a life of, of hope and future. You know, there's something to be said about having an expectation, an expected outcome. Every time I come up here to speak, when I walk up these stairs and I'm, I'm walking around on here, I feel pretty good that I can walk anywhere and I'm not going to plunge through. I will be honest with you. Sometimes when, I, when I'm way over here, <laughs> I do wonder sometimes in this section, like, listen to that. There's a baptismal uh, hole under here where people get baptized. Yeah, I should be. Hey, you built it. You would know. <laughs> Coming from the guy who built it. But over here, listen to this. There's no sound. I feel very sturdy walking around on here. If I decided I wanted to walk right up the middle aisle, but at the same height, I mean, I have no faith that I could walk on air. Zero faith that that air is going to hold me. Even if I shaved off 10 pounds, I'm still hitting the floor when I step off the front. You and I need to understand that just as sure as you are that the ground you're standing on can hold you, your God can hold you. Your God can carry you through whatever it is you're going through. Your God will take you to that expected end. In his mind, I'm sure it's laughable when we even doubt Trudy thinks, really? Come on. Like, what more do I have to do to prove to you that I got this? I've kind of, like, there's not much left. The whole cross thing, dying, being raised from the dead. Here I am. You've experienced me. Like, you know how this is going to end. What are you worried about? We need to learn to put our hope in him. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus yet, or maybe you're one of the ones who's just met Jesus, I'm super pumped that in the first three months so far of this year, there's been about 32, 34 people who've met Jesus in our church. Come on, 34. Give give God a hand. Absolutely. You will learn this for yourself, that you can put your hope in God. You can put your trust in him. He is going to carry you to an expected end. Now, I want to share a story with you out of uh, Exodus. Oh, sorry, Joshua. Exodus will come later. Joshua sends in a couple spies to check out Jericho. Okay, those of you who have been believers for a long time, you know how this story ends. 
But there's some interesting little tidbits that you might not know in this story. He sends in these spies, and the king and the folks in Jericho, they're pretty nervous because they heard the story about the whole Dead Sea thing and the whole parting of the sea. Like they're, they're, These guys are like, uh-oh, is it true that there's spies here? Because if Israel's after us, we're done. Like we got no chance of survival. So he sends his men out. He says, go find these spies. Let's go find them and capture them, you know, kill them, whatever. So they start to do their work, their investigative work through the city, and they come across Rahab. Rahab, who the Bible tells us was a prostitute living in the walls of the city. And word had gotten back to the king's men that this woman and her family knew where these spies were. Maybe they were even hiding them. And they get there, they get to her home, and they say, hey, the Israelite spies, where are they? And she says, well, they were here, but they took off. Maybe they've gone down the road, out the gates. You know, maybe, they, maybe you should go check out that way. Meanwhile, they were up on her roof, the roof of the walls. They, she lived in the walls of Jericho. Okay, so for those who know how the story ends, just don't forget that little tidbit. In the walls is where their home was. Not inside the gates, inside the city. Literally, the home was built into the walls. And they were hidden upstairs. And she had had this whole back and forth negotiation with them. I will hide you if you can... Pro-. She says this to them. We're all scared of you, and we know if your army comes in here, we're toast. The city's toast. So if I hide you and I help you out, can you promise me that me and my family will make it? And they said, yes, we will promise you that. You know, that's stepping out in faith, because let's be real, how can these guys guarantee, guarantee that? But they said, yes, we will, on our lives, we promise you, we will get you and your family out of here. So they hide her uh, upstairs. Uh, she hides them upstairs. The guys come, and they run around. They're looking all over the place. They can't find them. And in the middle of the story, there's a couple interesting phrases that I want you to, uh, to get. They come down, and she's going to end up, after the guys have left, and now they're going to escape, and they're going to get out of there. They've seen what they need to see. In, in Joshua, where am I here? Joshua 2, verse, let's say, 17. Before they left, the men said, we are going to be bound by the oath we have taken, only if you follow these instructions. Okay, I love that they gave her very clear We're only going to be bound if you follow this. When we come back into this land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And you and all your family members must be here inside the house. If they go out in the street and are killed, not our fault. Okay, that's on you. Stay in the house, and you must leave this scarlet rope hanging down. Verse 21, she says, I accept your terms. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country. They stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them looked everywhere, but finally returned without success. The spies came back from the hill country, crossed the Jordan, back to Joshua, and told him everything that had happened. And they said, the Lord has given us this land. The people in the land are terrified of us. This is a pretty good recon mission to go on. And you get in there and you realize they are absolutely scared that we might be showing up. Let's go and get them. Now, I want you to get something. Okay, I... Pray that your heart and your ears, your spiritual ears are open to receive something. I believe God wants to impart a a fresh word of hope into your life tonight, whether you've never set foot in a church or whether you've been here for decades. In verse 21, uh, verse 21 and verse 18, I guess, when it says, she sent them on their way in verse 21, and she left the scarlet rope hanging from the window. You know what the Hebrew word is for scarlet rope? Tikva. Say tikva. Remember back in the first verse we looked at? Our hope is found in the Lord. The word hope. This is the identical Hebrew word. It doesn't just sound the same. It's the exact word, tikva. 
The same tikva word that meant hope in those other passages, in this passage, the word tikva is translated into the scarlet robe hanging out of, out of her windows. It's the identical Hebrew word that we saw back in Psalms. How can a rope have the same meaning as hope, aside from the obvious connection that they rhyme? How can they have the same meaning in these stories and in these passages? I want, to, I want you to see something here. Your expected end, your future, the pathway that God has marked out for you that right now you can't even see how it's ever going to happen, how it makes any sense at all. The way of escape in your particular season where you're looking for a way of escape and there ain't any way of escape. His hope, his tikva, his rope, his means of escape is going to be the way that you find your expected end. It's not just some nebulous, vague oh, hope. I, okay, I'm just going to learn to hope in God. No, he will provide the way for you to hit your expected end. He will provide the scarlet rope for your life. He will provide the means by which you will get from where you are today to your ultimate destiny that he has called you to if you will keep your eyes fixed on him, if you will keep your life uh, centered on him, if you will live according to the instructions and the commands in the scripture and follow after him with your whole heart. He already has your rope of escape planned out. When the enemy thinks he has you cornered and you think the enemy has you cornered and you're looking around, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this, his scarlet rope of escape shows up. The tikva of the Lord shows up in your life, and that makes no sense to anybody else, but the tikva of God shows up in your life. The hope of God shows up, and when he shows up and he makes that way of escape, there's nothing anybody can do about it. There's nothing anybody can do to stop it. Now, I want to make sure you understand how this all ties in with the finishing of the story. Go ahead to Joshua 6 now. I'm going to read Joshua 6, verse 20 to 25. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, okay, so I'm at the very end of the story now. Joshua is there. The Israel army is there. They've circled the city. They are ready to take this place. When the people heard the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Okay, the walls collapsed. Remember where Rahab and her family lived? In the walls. Their home was built literally into the walls. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. God had told them, don't leave anything. you got to get in there and destroy this territory. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the spies, you keep your your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all of her family. The men who were the spies went in. They found her. They found her father. They found her mother. They found the brothers, all the other relatives, and they moved the whole family to a safe place near Israel's camp. The Israelites burned the whole town and everything in it. Only things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for God's treasury, the treasury of the house of God. Again, get yourself busy building the house in the kingdom of God. Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. I'm pretty certain that she had an experience, an encounter, and she completely, her life was changed. Her family's life was changed just like Simon from Cyrene that we talked about last week. When you have an up-close encounter with the tikva of God, your life has changed forever. You can be sure her and her family uh, were changed. Now, how would they know? How did they plan this? 
The walls of Jericho came down, and this woman and her family were living inside the walls. How can you be sure that that particular section of wall is not going to come crumbling down? Take a look at this photo here. Remember Joshua, what we read earlier, says, When we come back into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the windows, and all of your family members, all your relatives must be inside the house, and you will be saved. This is a reenactment of this moment. Okay, the musicians, the worshipers out front, the ram's horns, they're all shouting, they're all singing. I love the illustrations of all the guys tumbling off the walls up there in the top right corner, head first off the wall. But look, here's the scarlet rope hanging out of her particular section of wall with all the walls crumbling all around it except for that one particular section. Does this photo remind you of anything or invoke any other historic Bible stories? Think about the Passover for a moment. When the angel of death was going to hover through the town and kill the firstborn, and who were the homes that would be spared and not have their firstborn killed? The ones who had spread the blood on the doorposts as a sign to say our covering comes from the Lord. We are his. We're, we're servants of God. We're followers of the Lord. And we've got the blood marked on our doorposts to prove that we're, we're, we're part of the family of God. We're part of the kingdom of God. And the angel of death passed over their homes. This is the exact same illustration taking place here. There's a reason this thing is scarlet in color, red in color the blood of Jesus. In fact, there's a thread. If you want to do some digging and research into the scriptures and uncover this sort of thing, start to research the whole theme about the scarlet thread through scripture. There's a scarlet thread theme through scripture on how the blood of Jesus watches over us. And when all the walls came tumbling down, so this is what, this is what I'm talking about. Leave, leave that photo up for me. This is what I'm talking about. When circumstances make no sense to you and I naturally, if you are looking for somewhere to put your hope, I don't care if you've been just addicted to all sorts of things for decades. I don't care if you've been depressed for decades. I don't care if your life feels like it has completely fallen apart. You need to find a trustworthy source of hope. To me, there's a pretty good trustworthy source of hope. When I can spread blood on the side of my doorpost and sit inside my home and listen as the town shrieks, as the angel of death goes over and firstborn are killed. When I can hang a scarlet rope outside my window and all the walls come crumbling down all around except where I am. When things don't make sense to you and I with our natural eye, when circumstances don't make sense to you and I, and we think, how's that ever going to happen, God? This is how. When he makes a way of escape, he makes a way of escape. When he says, this is your expected end, you need to take that to the bank and say, this is my expected end. And yes, I get there's all the different conditions in there. We can't just live like we want, ignore scripture, ignore the Bible, ignore how we're, uh, you know, the way that the Lord asks us to live. We can't disobey. We have to learn to live an obedient, following, disciple, uh, discipleship life, following after Jesus, and you can put your trust in your expected end. Naturally, if you would have went and talked to them, if they knew this was the plan, Imagine Rahab and her family, just before these guys, the spies left, imagine if they would have said, oh, by the way, the way we're taking your city is your walls are all going to collapse and we're going to come storming in. She would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, this isn't quite what I had in mind. I live in the walls. How are you going to guarantee my little tiny section of wall ain't coming down? God, that's how. He's in control of all things. He is in control of your circumstances. 
If you will surrender and give your life to him, he will remain in control of every single situation you face. You can put your trust in him. You can put your expectation in that expected end. You can put your tikva, hope, in the scarlet thread, in the blood on the doorpost, in the word of God. You can put your trust and your hope in him because what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. When he says he's going to make you come out the other end victorious and you're going to be a part of his kingdom, you are going to. Even if logically it makes zero sense. Even if logically you look around and you think, wow, how is my little part of wall going to remain? Because he is in control of all things. He is in charge of all things. I want this to get into your spirit tonight. I want this to be something that imparts new faith, new hope, new confidence into you. He is a trustworthy source of your hope. A little stuffed animal might not be. Certain rocks might not be. Other little superstitions might not be. But guess what? Your heavenly father is. Your heavenly father is. The blood of Jesus is represented by the scarlet rope, by the red rope, the scarlet thread, the word tikva. Our hope comes because our Savior was crucified for us, and then he was raised from the dead three days later. We can put our hope and our trust in him. People around you need to hear the good news of Jesus. Come on, I'm tired of lives being destroyed and ravaged by addiction and by death and by pain and suicide. I mean, is there anything worse than suicide? Is there anything worse than people who just say, I have no purpose anymore? God has such a huge purpose for them, a huge destiny. You and I understand this. You and I have experienced already in different measure in our life the tikva, the hope of God. Don't let go. Grab a hold of your rope and don't let go. Grab a hold of your way of escape and don't let go. Grab a hold of Jesus and don't let go. Grab a hold of the word and don't let go. Once you get a hold of your hope, your tikva, when you understand and this becomes a revelation to you, don't let go no matter what's happening because he will make sure that you make it through the tests. He will make sure that you make it through the situations that look like they're impossible. He will bring you into greater fruitfulness, into greater prosperity, into greater health. He will restore your marriage. He will restore your children. He will restore your family. He will restore your health. Come on, get a hold of your rope. Get a hold of your hope and don't let go go. Come on. God is able. God is able. I'd like you to close your eyes. We're going to finish with a quick word of prayer here tonight. And I pray that this gets into your spirit. Jesus, we love you tonight. And we're grateful that we can look into your word and be reminded, even through a story like this, that you have made our destiny, you have made our path already mapped out. It's something that we should expect, something that we should grab onto. Lord, I pray that every single one of us, no matter what we've come in here living like, whether life has been amazing or life has been awful, what matters is will we put our eyes on you and find our hope in a true trustworthy source. If you're able to pass over specific homes and not harm the children during the Passover. If you're able to rescue a family because they put their trust and their faith in you by hanging a rope out the window, you can certainly take care of us. You can certainly bring us to our expected end. Lord, we need your hope. We need to understand that everything that we need is found in you.